We have local sports podcasts in Boston. It's called Off the Pike. Chicago, The Full Go. New York, New York with John Jastrzemski. And then the Ringers Philly special, which is humming right now. The Sixers are hot. The Eagles are hot. Go listen to everybody's takes on the Philly sports scene. The Ringers Philly special. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. They say a gentleman always keeps his word, but I can't repeat any of the words that the weed-dealing, gambling, murdering aristocrats say in The Gentleman. Guy Ritchie's first TV show ever, only on Netflix, based on his award-winning film, The Gentleman Series Stars, Theo James, my guy from White Lotus, and a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out, pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. We're also brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. On Wednesdays, I usually tweet a same-game parlay that I like for the night. I'm going to have to do it later than ever this year because um, just people get scratched. Last week, I had the Kings with the over and a whole bunch of things, and then Sabonis got scratched like an hour before the over didn't hit. It's frustrating because the Kings won anyway. So I'm going to be tweeting those probably closer to the game than usual, but stay tuned for those. We're going to be talking about NBA odds in a second and a whole bunch of other NBA topics with Chris Vernon and Joe House. I don't know if it's Sober House, Buzzed House, or Drunk House. We're going to find out. And then Wesley Morris and I reacted to the 2023 Oscar nominations. And what a absolutely bizarre year it was for movies. So you have all that. And uh, if you missed it, we put up a new rewatchables on Monday night. We did Big. One of my favorite movies. Another one. We're just cranking out movies that I love these days. But uh, it was with Van Lathan and Molly Rubin. The, the second hour of this podcast went off the rails in a great way. It was really fun. So you can check that out. You can also check out the Prestige TV podcast where we are hitting The Last of Us really hard twice a week and getting ready for a whole bunch of new shows that are coming soon. I think uh, there's one coming this week and one coming in February and then Succession's coming and we just have a lot of Prestige TV coming. Uh, coming up in one second, the Prestige duo, Joe House and Chris Vernon. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right, taping this, it is 2.45 Pacific time. Joe House is here. Chris Vernon is here. So we're not covering anything from the basketball game tonight. You know what we will be covering sometime in March? House, you and I yeah. are going to Memphis. Yeah! We haven't announced the date or the venue yet, but you and I are going to Memphis. We've picked a date, and we're going to do a live mismatch show with Chris Vernon and Kevin O'Connor himself, Kevin O'Connor, the four of us. 
in a TBD location. Verno, how many seats mm. can we sell, do you think? How many people will come out for this? A lot. A lot. A lot. Yes. Yes. I, I think we, yes, I, could, <laughs> I think we can pack wherever we want to. Maybe not like FedEx Forum, but we can't get the forum. <laughs> Let's get yeah, the forum. Right, well, I'll check with the forum. Do you think more people or more ribs that house will eat over the span of 48 hours? If you had to guess, oh, people versus ribs. No, people will defeat it. But I'm, I look, house could take it down. I am excited to see. And in fact, we will have to, we may have to put like a bet on this, like how many he can get down in one night. Well, that house, the only thing we have to make sure, and I say this out of love, this is a compliment, but you, you overeat. You know, you're kind of like an oh, animal. Really? You're, you're kind of like an animal. Is that, is that your well, theory? I just want to make sure you don't overeat before the live show. I don't want comatose digesting 38 ribs, Joe House. I want in a great mood, so excited that we're doing a show. And then afterwards, we're going to eat a ton of food, Joe House. That's, That's the Joe great. House I want. Okay. That's great. That's great. Hey, I'll be drunk for the show and then we'll eat some ribs so I can, you know, Perfect. get, 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 knock the buzz down a little bit. Even, even going back to college, what is the most amount of food you have watched him eat, Bill? Oh my God. I mean, that's like asking what LeBron's greatest game is. Like you just can't, there's no answer. There's like 35. I mean, I mean, the funniest thing with house was the Papa Gino's all you can eat on Wednesdays when we were in college. Which was just like what was it six ninety nine house? It was six fifty. Awesome, it was an awesome price. All, and it was all just I pizza. Is, yeah, or, well, and or pasta. pizza and pasta. Pizza we got it all. Tuesday nights. Yeah. Salad bar, pizza and pasta. And the only thing that that kept me, you know, they would say we have to leave. We can't stay here for another half hour. House. We have. To, we've been here two hours. We have to leave. And that was the the only thing that. That took me away from the buffet, Verno. Yeah, they would they would start side eyeing house. They were like, I know it's not you can eat buffet, but this is kind of pushing the limits, guys. So you, were you ever were you ever like huge and fat? No, never. Never. No, I, I, I've always had a, a a hollow leg and you know, nice high metabolism and all the hoops we were playing. I mean, many of those right. Papaginos nights, we came straight from the ball court and went wow. right over for two hour dinner. Yeah, we had a barbecue place called Fat Dickies we would go to. But the big the big night for house, like just in college for eating, was the ground round. Oh. They had some chicken wings deal. The wings, absolutely. <laughs> and I think you ate, like, what did you eat? Like 100 chicken wings? Like I'm, actual chicken wings. It was like 98 chicken wings, something well, like that. Because we could sit and they had this, this great... They basketball. Uh, exactly. We watched college yeah. basketball. And it was back when, when both of us were deeply into the college basketball scene. So uh, we're going to have to have like a rack bet then. It's going to yeah. be racks yeah. of ribs. How many racks? And we'll just do an over-under on it. Don't, don't sleep on house with the fried chicken either. Like Gus's. Oh, my God. That we Gus will be at Gus's at some point. Hey, <laughs> so speaking good. of the Grizzlies, Verno, they, so you're there in Memphis. Yeah. You, you have the best feel of anyone we know in this team. They win. What was it? 11 straight. Soft schedule, but 11 straight. It was nice. Jaron Jackson's yeah. back. All of a sudden, he has the best defensive player of the year odds. We're going to talk about that later because we have some future odds stuff. And then... Shannon Sharp changes your season. <laughs> Shannon, things are going great. You're about to beat the Lakers. And Shannon Sharp changes everything. You end up uh, blowing the Lakers game like a legitimate, terrible choke job in a nationally televised game, like a like a an absolute gag. And then you lose two more games. Now you've lost three straight. Did Shannon Sharp change your season? No. Uh, what changed our season is, well, look, it didn't change the season. It changed the last three games was a team filled with under-25s 
that went on a West Coast road trip. That first uh, quarter against oh. L.A., Woo! you could tell. Then they went to Phoenix, and, you know, you get in at whatever you get in, two-something. It's Dylan Brooks' birthday. So they uh. come out, they get flamed out by Phoenix, and then it's like, okay, get it back together. They run into a bus saw Sacramento where Sacramento hits 12 threes in the first quarter last night. And look, if I'll if I say anything, it is sometimes when you have things like this happen, it is it can show what you need. And I have I have long believed that they do need to add some more veteran presence. They do need to have some more veteran presence, not only for in the games, but also for those situations. In the end, you have to be able to perform. We were all young. We were all in under 25, right? But you have to be able to do your job. There's a reason why these guys don't win big until they're in their upper 20s. That's when we all started acting like adults also. And you mm. think you can just do anything when you're young. And you need those guys that are telling everybody, hey, we got a big game tomorrow night. Let's just keep it in or whatever. It can't just be the coach that's doing that kind of stuff, right? And so I think there is a need for some veteran presence there. And you need somebody, which this reared its ugly head in the playoffs last year. Who is the guy that's going to tell Dylan Brooks, don't take these BS shots? Like, mm. who's standing up to the guy, right? Listen, and so you, you made some great points, but I think the best point you made, and my, I have dollar signs in my head house, is can we create some sort of computer program for NBA player birthdays that coincides with oh, road trips? Wow, that's like, good. It's like, it's like on my calendar, on my Apple calendar, that's... it just pops up. Dylan Brooks' birthday coincides with an LA Phoenix combination. Wow. Hey, so I don't know if you guys remember this, but before, before Baxter Holmes brought down an entire ownership group <laughs> in Phoenix, he used to write a column for ESPN which gamblers started using a lot and it was it was called schedule losses and he right. put it out the first of every month and he would say okay here's uh they they'll have 3 and 5 days and the third one is this uh back to back in Denver and sure enough you'd be looking at the scores and then you I'd see like Denver 140 so in Minnesota, 90. And you go, what the hell? And I'd go back to Baxter Holmes' column. I'll be like, I'll be damned, right? Like it happened over well, and over House again. Well, House remembers, the first person who ever told me about that was Steve Kerr in yeah. the 2000s when he was the Suns GM. I had never heard the concept of schedule loss before. And he said they could just look at their schedule and be like, oh, we're screwed in that game. It's five well, and, and seven nights. That's the and, fifth night on the road. We're going to be and, in Utah. We're done. So, look, I'm not going to make any excuses for them, but I will tell uh, you, you made that like seven an 11 game win streak for a team that's all under 25 and they're going on the road. I, I would imagine they probably acted like kings in Los Angeles and then they Bruno's acted like the new kings Portland again soccer and... mom. He's like Memphis soccer dad house. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad that he came out and he had this this proper explanation because I was worried that it was going to be a two, a two on one last time. It was me and you on Verno about the James Harden, Ben Simmons trade. And yeah. Verno fought a valiant fight. Uh, he did. But, but look, we, we didn't, we're not fighting o over this one. Verno's absolutely right. They, they need some adults in Memphis. I have two suggestions. Mike Conley loves Memphis, knows the golf scene mm. in Memphis. 
Another yeah. guard that would really, you know, give you a little insurance on Ja Moran. Ja gets it, you know, you want Ja healthy for the playoffs. And then Jay Crowder's a nice, tough guy. Bring him in. He'll stand up to Dylan Brooks and look him right in the eye and tell him, look, oh dude, let's, let's be selective about the shots. Hey, that, now, that look, feels like having two male dogs in a house no. that just aren't going to get along and might get in a fight at any time. <laughs> I don't come Ooh. Jay Crowder and Dylan Brooks, they're on no. the court. They're on each other's corner too much. I don't like no, that one. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you this. We had him. Yeah, we you had did. Him you during did. Jaw's rookie year. That's and right. Ja loved all those guys love oh. him. Mm. And listen to that BS. He was probably mo him and I have always credited him and Solomon Hill. When I always talk about these teams need great veterans to explain to them how to be pros, how to win that it's okay to believe in the coach, this kind of stuff. It's exactly what Houston needs right now, right, is those kind of guys. <laughs> I mean, they but need I saw 30 that things. With, I know, but I saw it with a young team, and there was a well, lot. Look, I mean, look look at the leadership Jay Crowder showed this year in Phoenix. Oh, He's God, been great. I know, I know. But that's 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 a whole different thing, and, and it's part it of our calculus for why we're going to collect gigantic wads of money on betting the Phoenix unders this year, BS. I know, we did hit that. Verno. I don't think I disagree with the house. I don't, as much as I like Mike Conley and that would be emotional to see him come back. No, that's not what you need. You no. need, I need to know who your best five is at the end of games. When you're in the playoffs, who is it? Like if you look at the, uh, the best five man, that's not a hard on. one to come up with. They need adults to help them. The, the, the best five for Memphis isn't, isn't a conundrum. No, it's well, one of the best well, lineups in the NBA, Bill. They need well, give, adults to help them get across is, the goal line. But That's Brooks all. Is, Brooks is in that five, yep. and I don't trust Brooks for four straight rounds. I just don't. I don't think you can win a title if he's out there for 10 straight weeks. I think he'll shoot you out of a game or shoot you out of a series before you know what happened. It has changed since they've had Bain and Jaron Jackson both healthy. When the Brooks thing gets bad, which is when it got bad last year in the playoffs, is when one, but one of them's out. But when mm. all three of them are available and Ja is available, then he can kind of fade back more. It's gotten better in terms of the field goal attempts recently. And then, of course, you have a game like last night where Morant sits. And so it's like free reign. Well, you, how, so you know what their best? I mean, they haven't played enough games with Jackson yet to look at all the different lineups. But the best one is Adams, Brooks, Jackson, John Conchar. Well, which, that's what's. That, that I mean, that's 17 that's without games. Bane. Yeah, 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 but but I wonder, like, is Conchar the safety blanket? I just feel, Verna, you no. said to us last month that you wanted them to go all in because you felt like this was Jaws' version of the rookie year QB that's right. salary thing, which you've said on the mismatch as well. And yet now there's less than three weeks until the trade deadline. We really haven't really had any trades yet. It seems like everybody's kind of waiting to see what everybody else does. But I'm with you. I think Denver and Memphis are both one move away from really being driver CD in that Western conference. But Memphis has more assets than Denver. So are they going to do it? Yes. I would be shocked if they do not. I mean, you've just collected, you've hit on all of these draft picks. They've shown to be like promising. So if you're another team, you're getting what you might think is a promising player for uh, four years, three years in some cases. You've got expiring contracts. So... Dylan Brooks's contract expires. Danny Green's contract expires. Like that's you've 10 got, million too. Yeah. And you've got all the things 
Like you've got all the assets. You've got all of your picks. You've got tons of second round picks. You've got the Golden State first round pick. And so you have a bunch of assets and you've got these middle of the road contracts like that. Nobody has a bad contract. And has, you've has, got what do you want for Kuzma? Oh, oh, you're, the, you're the Washington GM. Verna's helping the Memphis run their thing. What are you asking for? He doesn't sign in him. I, they're going to try their their damnness. We'll know. I think we're going to get a lot of body language out of Kuz, but Kuz isn't what Memphis needs. Uh, you, you guys crapped all over my Conley and Crowder suggestion. They need adults. They need guys who have real, genuine playoff reps, guys that have played in conference finals, guys that made a play, might have played in NBA finals. Uh, Kuzma has played in that, but he, he's not going to provide that veteran presence that I think that Memphis really uh, is is in need of. Name some names for me that, that are going to be available that, that fit that mold. They're hopeful that Danny Green can be that guy, but we okay. just haven't seen him play. You know what I mean? Danny he's Green. supposed to be back very soon. I mean, he, he's on the team. Back from an injury. He didn't I, know, keep, I know. He didn't keep him from going out and having a good time in L.A. and Phoenix. Well, when you're they not need playing. an adult. Yeah, when you're not playing, it's, you know. Yes. I don't think, honestly... I don't think anybody's stopping these guys from going out if it's somebody's birthday. <laughs> Not in January. I mean, nah, let's be honest. Go nah. enjoy them. They should go enjoy themselves. This would have been an amazing LeBron James come on in for a year and a half team if he was eligible to be wow. traded. I still, for, I'll never, someone, when is somebody going to give us an answer why LeBron signed this extension that made it impossible for him to be traded? Like it was, it was the span of five days. Nobody in his life pointed this out to him. He's got 40 people in his life. Not one person's like, Hey, dude, if we sign this a week early, if this goes badly, we, they can trade you. And then he would be like this huge prize on the market right now. And he'd be able to basically, he could basically lock down a fifth ring or come damn close if he wanted to. And he just screwed it up. You know what it. I think you should do? I think you should go and you should yell that at them at the Lakers game. And we can Court test side. your level of celebrity. And <laughs> yeah. we can see no, I'm getting would, kicked Bill, out Simmons, would yeah. Bill Simmons get thrown out of a game <laughs> If he pointed to the ground and said, come over here, come over here. I'll talk to Guess you right what? to your I, face. I have the answer for you now. The answer is yes. <laughs> I, I think with Shannon Sharp, I think the fact that he was an NFL Hall of Famer, like bought him this weird credibility. So I, I, now we know, like, so Joe Montana can do that. All these different people, like you have to have some sort of athletic gravitas, I feel like. Yeah, House, I'm with you on the older whatever. I just don't know how many of those players are in the league. I think it's because I always hear these trades. It's like, all they need is this. And then it's like, well, I would invite you to go through all the teams right? and tell me which player that is. Like you could say Eric Gordon would be a nice fit for them, but I, I don't think Eric Gordon's swinging no. the title, you no. know, because I, I think Sacramento's in a little bit of the same spot where, um, and we're going to talk about them. We do the future odds, but they have a chance to lock down the Pacific in a real way. They have a three and a half game lead. And we're almost 60% through the season. And you could look at it like, no, we won't do anything. Or you could say, hey, man, we could trade Harrison Barnes and some other thing and get one more awesome guy. But then you go through all the rosters and it's like, who's the guy? Who is it? Who would you want? And it's it's always less people than you think. Let's, um, let's take a quick break because I, 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 I have a announcement for you guys that I think is going to oh. surprise you. You already knew FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Did you know new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet? All you have to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It is safe. It's secure. It's super easy to use. You can bet on anything from money line to point scores to threes drained. 
We're going to talk about future bets with Verno and House. One of my favorites, Sacramento, at least this morning, was plus 170 to win the Pacific Division. They're like three and a half games up. So look at those division bets. This is a great time to jump in them. There's way less of the season than you might think. Plus, FanDuel lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout for single games with a same-game parlay. Don't miss out on that. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in bonus bets, win or lose, with promo code BS. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. You must be 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe Spring. On the way, warmer temperatures, more time outside, more time away from your home. Do yourself a favor. Make sure you're doing what you can to protect your place and get a Simply Safe home security system, comprehensive protection for your whole home, a great way to keep you and your loved ones safe. What if you're going out for Easter for six hours? You don't think the burglars are going to figure that out? That y'all, y'all packed up your car at like 1130 on Easter and you drove off somewhere? Yeah, all they need is an hour. I'm not the only one singing Simply Safe's praises. Simply Safe, named best home security system in 2024 by US News and World Report, recognized for the best customer service in home security by Newsweek. Protect your home today. I use Simply Safe and love it. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when they sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash BS. Don't wait. That is simplysafe.com slash BS. All right, so Steve Kerr benched all his dudes in the Cleveland game after the the Boston overtime game and apologized in the press conference and did the classic, tried to shift the blame thing where he's like, this is why we did a 72-game season. Sounded like an excuse. We're just kind of used to this at this point, watching the league. And Verno, you're, you're working for, you know, you're, you're going to these home games. You have no idea who's going to show up for the other team or not. I've had Clipper season tickets since 04. And I think this is my last year. I think I'm wow. out. This yeah. is the announcement? You're done? Yeah. I think I'm out. I'm out. I, Before after they four, get the new arena? After four years of Kawhi and Paul George rest management or looking forward to somebody coming in and having no idea. Like Jokic, a couple weeks ago, just like, no, I couldn't have gone to the game anyway because football, but it's like, oh, cool. Jokic comes twice. There's one. Cross that off. And I just think the NBA is at a point now where they have to tell us whether they give a shit or not. And I don't think they do. I don't. I don't think they do. I think they talk a big game. They talk about the fans. They talk about the product and the safety of the players. But I think how this has evolved over the last five, six years has actually been embarrassing. It's incredibly anti-fan. And... You know, it's like, well, you, the, the Cleveland fans should know there's a chance the Warriors. How do you know? How, like, how has this helped grow fans? This is like, to me, House, when we were growing up, when all of a sudden the baseball playoff games were on after midnight and we all looked at each other and we were like, this is bad. This is going to ruin an entire generation of fans. This is how this is going to play out. And now you look at baseball. I don't think it's going to be that bad with basketball. But they have to fix this. And I think actually what Steve Kerr said is something that I've been saying for a while. And I actually think they should really think about this. I think the 72-game schedule with real rules and penalties in place for the rest management stuff where you you have just less last, you take away 10 games and you could rig this where this stuff doesn't happen anymore. It would make the regular season more important. Every game would have a little bit more juice to it. 
And I just think they have to try it. I think they have to do something because this fucking sucks. It does. House, your response. Yeah, so I, I, I couldn't agree more. You, you can't continue to disrespect your fans in this manner and continue to tell us that the regular season doesn't matter in this manner and ask people to pay the amount of money. The, the Cleveland people get one chance to see Steph Curry, right? One, one chance and the, 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 the schedule eliminates it. Speaking of, of a schedule loss, the, some of the, I heard a lot of the outrage, you know, Friday night into Saturday, the best suggestion that I heard was eliminate back-to-backs altogether. No teams play any back-to-back. In now, the regular season. I'm not a math major, and I don't know schedule-wise what that does in terms of October and, and June, you know, to be able to accommodate all 82 games. But that combination of eliminating the back-to-backs, and then if you want to rest players, then you must do so. And the penalties have to be extremely severe. You must do so at home. You cannot rest players on the road. These people, these fans, all of us pay the the extraordinary amounts of money to go to the games and see these. We have one opportunity to see a lot of these West Coast teams. Especially here your on the East shitty Coast. situation in Washington. Exactly You're watching right. 39 win teams every year. And it's like That's the right. highlight is when these guys come to town. Yes. So, well, well Verno, that- what if they just said every team plays three games a week? That's it. And we don't know what there might be like two in a row and then four days rest, but we are going to have the schedule. It's going to be for 24 weeks. Everybody's going to play three times per week. And that's how we're doing it. 72 total. You play the other conference twice. You play your own conference three times. This will make the product better. Here we go. Why couldn't they do that? Would that not make the sport better? I am open to literally any idea that could fix this. Um, one that I saw the other night, I believe it was Nate Jones on Twitter, and it's something I've never heard anybody bring up. He was saying that there are all of these teams now have this inordinate amount of people on staff that are like the health staff or the sports science staff or whatever. And they have the season charted out prior to. And so in the effort of complete transparency, teams should have to announce this. And they say, look, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be able to look that far in advance and say, look, it's a Thursday after this Boston game, whether that game goes overtime or not, that there's a, you know, here's where we have marked as these are going to be our possible rest days. Like they look at the schedule in advance. This isn't just done on a whim. Like, right. It's like, oh, we're worried about Kawhi's knee. Yeah. They're not thinking that way. They're thinking it's. These are planned. These are planned out. And so for what you have, at least at the beginning, there needs to be transparency. Now, the problem is you have to do it so far in advance. There's always going to be injuries. But, you know, it is not fair to the guy that spent $2,000 on tickets in Cleveland for his his kid wanted for Christmas just to see Steph Curry how about in the, person. How about the guy who I mean, spent $100 I, in tickets who didn't have sure. $100? And this that's was right. like the most he spent on anything. I So we have all this dynamic pricing that is so easy for teams to do. And they, some of them even do it for some of the games, right? When John Morant comes to down, that ticket is going to be worth more than when the Rockets come to down. Like a lot of the teams do this. I think most of them do. Why couldn't they have a thing house where there's 35 players on the list? And it's like, 
here's the Denver price if Jokic plays. And if Jokic doesn't play, it drops 40%. If you have Golden State, oh, Curry and Draymond are out, that drops 50%. Could they ever do that? Or then they'd have to target, they'd have to say who the dynamic pricing stars are. But I'm telling you, that's a better solution than this solution where it's like, hey, Cleveland, you're fucked. Bend yeah, over. Anything that will have the effect of lessening the impact on the fans, I support. So all creative ideas. But the, the most important thing to me is when a team goes into a, a, a venue and those fans only have one chance to see that team, right. that that team fields its best players. They have to emphasize that ab above all else if they're going to insist that the regular season matters. I, I'm the, with you. The that's Saturday that's night step game number too. one. Right, yeah. the penalizing if you miss if you are resting road games, that's where you choose to do your resting. That that get penalized. I agree. You know, Ethan Strauss wrote a piece about football ratings and basketball ratings. We've talked on this podcast about there was this moment where it seemed like football was gonna the arrow was pointing down hard. I think the pandemic and some other things. Now it's like everybody loves football as much as they ever did, and the basketball ratings continue to go down. And a lot of people assign different blame for it. I think part of it is the season's too long. I also think the content is so available all over the place. They almost don't have to watch the games. You just go to Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. My son doesn't watch any basketball games. He knows, and I'm sure, Verno, I'm sure your kids are a little like this too. He gets a lot of his information from TikTok and like, oh, did you see Ja last night? And he just sees it from social. And I almost wonder if Ethan's theory about the NBA was so generous with putting their content and trying to pull in young fans that in, it had this inadvertent consequence of, ah, you don't really need to watch the game. So you have that combined with, oh, I was going to watch this game, but Kawhi and Paul George aren't playing. And the combo of that and the season being too long, and even though the play-in, I think, has added a little luster to it, I still think the season's too long. I've always thought that way, and I still think they should look at changing it, but I think they're too greedy. Well, I will say that regarding my son, he and this is from a very young age. Um, good example, right? The West Coast team games. He can't stay up for those. Right. But since he was probably, I'd say seven, he watches on YouTube. They do the super cuts of the games. So if you wanted to go this morning, they have full game highlights. And it'll probably be about, I don't know, 11 minutes. If you want to find out what happened in the Grizzlies-Kings last night, he watches the 11-minute video of what he, happened guess in the Grizzlies-Kings last night. He does. Your friend Bill Simmons. That's how, yeah. I, that's how I catch up on a lot of these games. That's how sure. I have his, I'll, I'll sit and watch certain games beginning and end, but if I feel like, oh, I, I want to get a feel for that Miami-Atlanta game that we were at dinner for, I'll watch that Supercut. It's great. Yeah. And so I would say... I don't think say, it's helping like, the ratings. But I do think it has helped with young fans. I, I agree. I, I don't... Uh, in terms of the level of interest, in terms of the level of interest that they have, because one of the things that's not taken into consideration is, and we, I know this, I'll give you an example, Bill, just from doing the podcast, right? What, like if we do NFL podcast, you don't have a worldwide audience. You do an NBA podcast, it's a right. worldwide audience. You get New Zealand and, and Brazil. Yeah. That's real. Like, you know what I mean? I remember when me and Kevin were getting our numbers from New Zealand and Australia and like all these different, like, wait, what? Like, I had no idea these people, are, there are people are listening all over the globe 
and they care deeply because they just want to get information. Or if I go and tweet out like, hey, what time is it where you're watching this game? Whatever. Mm. I mean, there'll be 30-something different countries represented just on Twitter. So, I mean, it has, it, it does have a global audience. And I do think that there is a young audience that has been attained. And I say that as someone who, my son just turned 13 and I get it, Morant is in my town, but he's always cared. And it's what's cool to them. I would say, I would say amongst, if I were to go poll like a group of them, I would say there would be maybe Mahomes. And that's about it. Of the, like, if we, if I said your favorite athletes, yeah, Yeah. no, any athletes. Yeah, but you're you're in Memphis where you have the most exciting under 25 player in the NBA. Okay, let's go. Maybe let's go. I would say let's go to Boston. Go ask a 12 year old in Boston who his five favorite athletes are. Yeah, but who are his five favorite athletes? How many of them are NFL guys? Yeah, interesting. I probably a quarterback. Somebody would pick one of the quarterbacks. Mahomes, that's it. He's the guy. I'm telling you. One legged Mahomes. House, yeah. you think the seat you would keep this season at 82? It sounds like you would. Yeah, I would because we're having this conversation in January. We're at like that that in that transition period. I need NBA basketball from February to May. And it's mm. really like this is when when the NFL drops out and then mm. it's just basketball and hockey. And college basketball, and let's be honest, college basketball at this point is is just two weeks. It's it's March Madness, and otherwise, like it, it to me, maybe I'm I'm confessing something about my stage of life. I can't, I don't care about you know conference college basketball anymore. I care about uh, March Madness, and I'll watch some of that. But otherwise, I'm deeply interested in the drive post trade deadline, from trade deadline all the way up to playoffs. It's the NBA, NBA. NBA and I think that's yeah. when you know the sporting world's focus really shifts over to the to the league and you need all the games to 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 be able to fill that interest. Yeah, but you didn't you didn't mind at all when it didn't start until Christmas a few years ago, did you? I, exactly right. That's precisely the point. I agree. Like if they started if they, you wanted to do 70 games and run it from Christmas to 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 June, that's fine with me. I don't have any problem with that. Okay, so it's just the timing. It's not it's the, the amount timing. of games. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's right. There's one other suggestion that's been floated around a bunch about whether there should be a game minimum to be eligible for some of this all NBA um, all-star bonus, all that, that like basically tying in durability as a strength for contracts, which I thought that was pretty interesting. If they said all NBA was 65 games, that's it. And you have to get to 65 or you're not eligible or 67, whatever it is. I, I wonder how that would change stuff. Maybe some guys wouldn't even care. I don't know. But I worst case thing, if we're going to compromise on anything, if there's one idea that I feel like everybody would kind of sign off on is if you cut it to 76 games and you did the 72 plus, instead of playing your own conference three times, you'd then play your own division a fourth time, have a home and home. That would get you to 76 really easily. And then we're done. 82 is like, like they, I, this was something that uh, I was obsessed with when I was doing my book these ideas that people came up with a million years ago. And then it was like, well, that's how we always, we've always done it. You know, and they came up with 82 games over 50 years ago because guess what? The league wasn't doing that well. So they scheduled a whole shitload of games to try to make more revenue. There was no rational reason. It was not like they studied it. 
it, they just kind of landed at 82. At one point, it was 72. Well, and they're they doing kept this, bumping it up. Look, what they've done, actually, is they've added games. I know it's just the right, play-in. With the plan. you're right. They've added games. And, and who knows what's going to happen with this midseason tournament, how that fits yeah. in, because that's happening. Yeah, because I was looking at, I oh, this is another thing I want to throw you guys. Um, it's a good segue, actually, because this LeBron, people are doing this whole, oh, LeBron, nobody's ever done this before. And it, it's amazing what he's doing. I'm I'm conceding that. <laughs> but I was really glad that Ramona Shelbourne went and, and interviewed Pat Riley about Kareem today. Because guess what? Kareem did this. Kareem at age 38 was fucking awesome. He was the best player in the 1985 finals. And I know that because I went to the games and he killed us. He destroyed us. He changed the series. He was 38 years old at the time. Um, his, his 84, 85 season, he turned 38 in April in the, in the finals, he was 26 and nine, 60% shooting in the finals in his 85, 86 season. When he was 38, turning into 39, he averaged 23 and six, 56%. More importantly, house, he played 98 games, including playoffs in 84, 85, and he played 90 games in 85, 86. So I'm just removing LeBron. I, I just feel, I wrote this in my book and it's worse now. Kareem is the most overlooked superstar in any sport. It's <laughs> unbelievable to me. It's yeah. like he never happened. The guy was a fucking absolute unicorn and gets no credit. And think about the physical challenge in the mid 80s. Right, the versus shit kicked out of him. All the benefits now of of you know hyperbaric chambers and the massage, like all of the advancements in in medical science that lead to enhanced uh, recuperation and and recovery. He it did was, some of that. Know, like he he was doing yoga. Yes. He had like so he had like he was the first guy to kind of right. have a diet, but that was it. I mean, it was like whoa, Kareem's doing yoga. That, he also, that he also like, did like he did karate versus Bruce Lee. Right. But Kareem, he plays, he he goes all four years in college and then he plays all the way until he's 42 years old. He was kind of done the last year and a half, but age 38, age 39, age 40 was still like a really important NBA player. Put some respect on Kareem's name. Hey. God damn it. I, hey, 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 I like, I like this. House. And by the way, like, my least favorite hey, NBA hey. star of all time. I hated yeah, Kareem. He's been, I he's hated been calling him. him a ninny. He's been calling nah, Kareem on, a ninny for you, 30 years. You, you probably hate LeBron more now. Come on. No, no, Kareem's still my uh, least favorite. We're doing, we're doing like the rankings. Come on. Who annoys you more? At least Kareem's old now. Come on. Kareem on the court annoyed me the most. Uh, LeBron, the way he just kind of jumps sides, depending on w w what's in it for him, annoys me. Like the Shannon Sharp thing was classic LeBron. But you if always. If that had been Skip Bayless yelling at Russell Westbrook, he would have oh reacted like, like there was like an invasion from a foreign country. But you, you always jump me for the zags. You love when I zag. I like this. Everybody's praising how awesome LeBron is right now at 38. Hey! <laughs> Hold up, everybody. Let's talk about a guy who did it in 1985. This ain't that great. <laughs> it was great. It. It's my only point. I, love it. I, I just love don't want to hear the, this. We've never seen this before. It's like we've literally <laughs> seen this before in the NBA finals in the last 40 years. I just, one of the things that's frustrating point. to, one of the things that's frustrating to old guys like House and I is that people seem to think professional sports started in like 2000. Oh, and this is... it's just the way it's going. Like even today, my guy, Stephen Ruiz, who's doing a great job for the ringer. He, he theorized that the Brady Manning 
debate started, like the whole QB debates that we have now. And it's like, actually, we were there when it started because House and I are both fucking old, but it was Marino versus Montana versus Elway for, what, 12 years of our life? We argued, yeah. and then it was Sanders versus Emmett. And those, we would just sit in a bar and fucking argue about that for an hour. Like, yeah. like real legitimate arguments. House, were you a Sanders guy or an Emmett guy? Um, well, I, I suffered at the hands of Emmett so much more, you know, religiously and regularly. Right, so he respected him more. He was in the comp, yeah, in the, in the division. So, yeah, I put, I, I put respect on Emmett's name. Verno's a Cowboys fan, so he was, he was an Emmett Ugh. guy. Were, were you Montano, Marino, or, Marino or Elway? What was your side on that one? Always Montana. Montana, Montana, Montana. That's where I was too, Verno. Did you have an yeah. opinion on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Montana was the guy because he was the one. He was the guy that won. That's it. He's the guy. He's that another won. one. Montana right. and this cream. Con Montana's another one who's just been shoved into outer space when he's what's in, weird because these great I get with that he was the mythology when yeah. I was a kid. He was the hey, it's John Candy in the stands or oh, you remember that old story? And it's oh like, yeah. And then he goes. He was the original Joe Cool. And he was the guy that was so, I mean, when I was a kid, much like y'all, it was, I mean, my father got Sports Illustrated. So like the guys that were the cover of Sports Illustrated, those were the guys. And Montana was like, it was like Super Bowl Joe. And it was always, you know, I mean, I could visualize these covers of him being on. He was just, I mean, he was the guy. This is um, before the Brady stuff. You know, and I'm sure that you were you were saying that too, right? When Brady was going through his, you were like, "Why is everybody acting like this hasn't been done before?" Joe Montana did it. <laughs> is no, that we, what Brady needed the 28. <laughs> he needed the Falcons game because to me, I was never going to put anyone over Montana. And then the Falcons game, wow. I was like, "All right, he did it." That's the greatest thing I've ever seen a quarterback do. On top of he has all the other resume stuff. I want Kareem. I really want Kareem to come on my podcast. I know I called him a ninny in my book a hundred times, but I really respect that guy. As a basketball, it was out of love that he used to kick our ass. And he also threw an elbow at Larry Bird once, which it took me a while to forgive. But uh, let's take a break. I'm going to do NBA Futures. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay, that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because. I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game. 
right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. Okay, we have 20 minutes left on the clock. We're going to talk about NBA bet value right now. This is the perfect time to do it. With the 40% left of the season, there's some crazy odds all the way around. Like, for instance, Verno, your guy Triple J is minus 195 on FanDuel to win Defensive Player of the Year. Now, I would say if the season ended today, he'd probably win Defensive Player of the Year or be one of the two or three guys. And then you look at the other candidates and it's like, eh. It's probably going to be him. Either all the advanced metrics could not be more in his favor. I test the whole thing. But he could also get hurt tomorrow. So I look at odds like that where he's minus 195. <laughs> Why would you do that? I'm just saying, yes. like, I it's so early to have, like, a yeah. giant favorite. Like, hmm. Jokic is plus 110 to win the MVP, and I would say he's just as much of a favorite to win that as Triple J, but defensive player. So it just feels like there's value, and I was looking at the rest of those defensive player of the year. I vote on it, so I can't bet on it, but I was like, I wonder who this year's Marcus Smart is, and I couldn't come up with a name. I, I and that, that made me think maybe the Triple J odds are actually pretty good, but what did you think when you looked at that? I think, uh, I think Bam at plus 2,200 on FanDuel, I could see, I feel like he's gaining a lot of momentum. Because they're playing a, better too. Yeah. yeah, and, and he's also the only one. OG does it, uh, Ananobi, but it doesn't get nearly as much attention. But Bam, his team like, doesn't win either. No, no, no. But Bam goes out there regularly and says, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. So if you, you know what I mean? The guys that, like somebody like Jaron Jackson Jr., cares about that award deeply. Somebody yeah. like Bam Adebayo cares about that award deeply. I don't think you're going to see the Brooke Lopez, I'm the best defender, you know, quotes. <laughs> right. I don't think you're going to see Nick Claxton, nobody respects my defense quotes. You know what I'm saying? But those, anybody that like might go out there and politic for themselves and then get the general consensus to be like, ah, uh, you know, and... Miami, I mean, they played better recently, and if they got on a good second-half run towards down the stretch, he's kind yeah. of been what's held that thing all together. I would say, if I'm looking at a long shot, that, that's who I'd take. I mean, I think Jaron Jackson will win it uninjured, but I think that a guy that has been vocal about wanting it and is probably going to be on a good team with a good record, I'd say Well, he's a, he's already be. missed 14 games. Yep. which is why I was surprised he was heavy favorite like that. And the BAM thing, that's probably the other one, right, House? Do you have anybody else for that award that could be a sleeper? Yeah, I'd prefer to play Giannis than, than BAM. Um, and, and the reason for that is because I feel like Giannis is going to get closed out of the MVP vote, and I feel like voters might look to to, to reward him for the season. Vote. If if they go on a run, right? Because they got Chris Middleton back. If they get if those three guys are healthy for this stretch run, and they reel off like you know uh, nineteen wins in twenty four games, and all of a sudden they're right there neck and neck with the Celtics, you know, or above the Celtics for the one seed in, in the East, uh, it will be because of of Giannis, you know, exerting his will, and that to me, it's going to be hard for him to jump over uh, Joker and, and Luca. 
for MVP. So I think that that would be a way to split it. But the th- well, only observation I'll make right now is there's no scenario under which it makes a lick of sense to lay juice on, on any of these no. player awards. Yeah, totally you, you agree. Just, you're not By the way, laying... you didn't, how she didn't mention Giannis is 20 to one. Lopez and Claxton are seven to one each. I agree with you, Verno. You got a campaign. Like that's one of the things that helped yep. Marcus Smart last year and the teammates have to campaign. So yeah, I would say Bam's the best long shot. Yeah, when we got to this point in the season last year, Boston's like a 500 team. Yeah. And then they clamped down, went on that crazy run the rest of the way and had the number one defense. So if there was somebody, that's why Jaron Jackson is at the top because they were 30th in defense. He came back and then they became first. But if somebody just became the best defense in the NBA for the last couple of months of the season and strangled people out, then they'd say, best player, best defense. And so that's, you know, you got a chance on, I mean, that's not going to be true of Brooklyn. 100% not going to be true. If it's true of Milwaukee, I think I agree with House that though Lopez has gotten a lot of credit, I think people would probably lean towards Giannis. Yeah, I'm not ready to go there. Zach Zach was kind of test drove a DPOY Lopez case with me on one of our pods. And I was just, I made a face. Uh, Ananobi's (laughs) 25 to 1. The only reason I mentioned that is he could get traded tomorrow and go to a contender and absolutely kick ass for them the rest of the way. House, my favorite bet of all these futures I tweeted today was the Kings to win the Pacific, which was plus 170. Yeah, still plus 170. They have a three and a half game lead. All their dudes play, right? Their Gold State's plus 190. Phoenix is plus 340. The Clippers are plus 650. I was stunned that they weren't minus favorites to win the division. All their guys play. They have a really good home team now um, and a crowd that really affects those games. And I, I would actually just be surprised that they didn't win the division. What do you think of that one? Yeah, I, I like it um, because Sacramento is motivated to play. So I'm knocking on wood that everybody stays healthy. That That's the, the key, yep. obviously, for anything like this at this stage of the season. But it, they... they they're they're similar to Phoenix last year in the sense that Phoenix won 64 games because they played every one of the regular season games like it goddamn mattered. They were pissed off about the way the finals yeah. went. They came in and they tried to burn the house down. This Kings team is has an identity. They've developed an identity, and the best way for them to to have success going into the playoffs is to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. They want to win. They love, you know, they have they have a great chemistry. It's obvious that they really enjoy playing with each other. And when you go down and look at the Clippers, the Suns, and the Warriors, it's just giant yeah. warts all over all, all three over of those teams. Right? Also, they hit that pick that we all made fun of. They hit like, the Whoa, pick. They took Murray. I can't believe they didn't take Ivy. Ivy is such more value. That Those were things I said in June. And Murray's like perfect for that team. I uh, I love that plus 170. And also have you, a really seen, what, fun have story. you seen what they do it with Murray at those games? So I don't know. You, you you might be able to hear it through the TV. But when he, like, shoots a three, they go, like, the PA announcer's like, Keegan, and the whole crowd goes, Murray! It's unbelievable for a rookie Amazing. player. You know what I mean? They got yeah. a crazy, that whole environment. I know they've been starred for it, but the whole light, the beam, and the whole crowd. I, mean, I love it. Awesome. I'm going next it's month, awesome. house. I, I, You're going? I, yeah, I'm going. I'm, I want to see it in person. It's not that far from here. Yeah. yeah. I'm going. I'm gonna. I'm gonna light the beam myself. With my, with, <laughs> I mean, it's fantastic. Alcohol. It's great. Um, Verno, what's your favorite future bet? 
So I I went with one of the long shots. Mm. Um, I went I went with one of the long shots because I think that it's probably good value, and that is Cleveland in the East Finals. Oh, okay. Yeah. What do we I got think, for odds for that? We have. I, uh, well, so they're plus nine hundred to mm. win the Eastern Conference right now, right? I yep. believe that's I believe that's correct. So those two, like th- them, and honestly Miami at plus nineteen hundred. But Cleveland yeah, is no way up of the teams that I have seen in person this year. They were the one, and I saw them without Mitchell, where I thought, boy, if they get a wing, or if one of these guys can do something. I mean, Garland is wildly underrated. And it's just because Mitchell's averaged 30-something a game and had the 71 and whatever else. But I talked to the guys in Cleveland while they were here, and they got an unbelievable vibe. Mobley is getting better and better and better. They all really like each other. They tell me that Mitchell is like a godsend superstar. Like, And they all, like, they all love him, and he's been this great teammate, and he's not arrogant at all with them, and he's like just fits in with them, and they all kind of, and he's like a real leader who gets the crowd pumped up, whatever. And I tell you this, man, dealing with those two guys that can beat you off the dribble, and then Mobley, who they've got to get a little more sob out of him, but he is so wildly talented, and then Allen as a finisher, and they're so big inside. I just think. They are going to present so many problems for somebody that they match up with that I I really believe that that team, if they stay healthy, could be in the conference final. And if they were able to get like a knockdown shooter. Yeah, then you could hedge the it wing, in the finals. Because I even like their veterans off the bench. You know, they got the Rubio love. Yeah, like they, need, kinda, they need one, one, wing, one wing that I would trust. They're 29 and 19 right now. So they're in fifth place. But like you said, it feels like they haven't had their entire team together for more than like two weeks at a time. So That's right. if they had a little better injury luck, that could all of a sudden be like a 32 and 16, and their defense, something like man, that. They get back in transition. And yeah. so they make no, it they're good. I, I'm with you. Good. They've always been to me like on that short list house. I guess I didn't have them. I looked at it for that for my favorite future. I just don't know if plus 900 is enough value for it. I would rather bet them series by series. I think the one thing we've learned, because House and I love the futures, and I know you do too, Verno. Um, I was just going to do a long shot. Yeah, you know no, I, mean? I, I wish I wish it was like 13 to 1. Because I remember, House, remember when I texted you and Sal a couple weeks ago? Yes. And I was like, the Denver odds are too high. They're 12 to 1. They're 13 to 1 on FanDuel to win the title and like plus... 600 to win the West. I was like, they're going to get the one seed. There's no way they're not. If they're not one seed, they'll be the two seed, but they're probably getting the one seed. And now those, those odds have dropped to the point. It's not even worth it. So who do you, who do you have as your future sleeper house? So I I have in that I'm in the same conference as Verno. And I feel like, uh, the Sixers aren't getting enough. Don't respect the Sixers. Oh, who'd you think I, I was going to say? I thought you say Miami. I was going to yell. At no, you. no, no, no. I'm out on okay. Miami. I, I've seen enough Good. of Miami. There's nothing unless they make uh, a, a sizable, meaningful trade. I'm out. I, I don't need to see any more uh, of 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 what they have. They they just don't have enough weapons. And I'm not. I think the East is better. There's there's. I don't yeah. have the pathway for Miami. 
Philadelphia has caught my attention. 18 okay. and four over the last six and a half weeks. Joel back to being the leading scorer in the NBA, like very quietly. He's number yeah. one scorer in the, in, in the league. This is always a bet on Joel Embiid's health, but they're thick. Like they have uh, depth that what they did in the offseason to acquire and, and, and build up depth on the wings. It, it's, it's impressive to me. And I think this season, Harden, you know, they, they, they've got the chemistry that they, they, they couldn't really figure it this out. This is great. La- I can't wait year. to clip this out and send this oh, to you two me months too. Hey, you know this what? I'm not offended by it. I'm hey, just saying at great. plus 750. I love this so much. Plus, is like, you know who I love? James Harden. You can't put Brooklyn at plus 440. House and, also and the on Dak Prescott. Has, no, who, did, who else is in the Joe you? House Gambling Club? This is ridiculous. Dak Prescott, James outrageous. Harden, who else do you have? This is outrageous. This <laughs> slander is athletes? unwarranted. Naomi Osaka, he loves her in every major now. This is outrageous. I have? won't tolerate any of this. This is complete <laughs> nonsense. This dude said he was going to bet on James Harden. Hey, I tell you what. You said you guys are coming to Memphis. Just bring that money yeah. and throw it in the fucking <laughs> yeah, Mississippi we'll, River. Bruno and I are going to book the Philly bets. We're just talking about <laughs> value. They're, 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 they're not, you know, you can't say implied probability of Brooklyn at plus 440 is whatever that translates into. Yeah. And the Sixers are much worse than that. The Sixers well, are so better than Brooklyn. As, hey, you only host three podcasts a week. Somehow you never told us the odds. I'm going to do it's four. Plus, it's plus 750. Plus if you're going to do Cleveland at plus 900, the Sixers are much better value no, to me. Yes, they are. They no. they've been in the playoffs. All the guys. I'm going to give you, you, you one. Don't have that's any gonna, guys on the Cleveland that's been really in the playoffs. Hey, we're done with James Harden. I'm going to give you one that's going to you're going to laugh even harder than the House's Philly thing. But I love the odds. Atlanta is 32 to one to win the East. Come oh God, on. shut Come up! On. Hold on, let me make the case oh really God. quick. All Just right, 25 Who are second they getting? case. 25 second case. <laughs> Their five-man lineup, when they play their best five guys, is really good and successful. Like, they're like On plus offense. 11, something like that. No, no, they're plus 11 when they play their best five guys. I've noticed something. When I've been watching them recently because I was trying to figure out if they, was a, they were a trade team. It does feel like Trey's tweaked the way he plays a little bit. So I guess it, you didn't watch him just lose to Charlotte. Well, that other than that game. <laughs> but for the way, it's, it seems like he's making an effort. I'm just making the case for 32 to one. It just seems high to me because you figure they get, they could get, I, they, this goes into my second one, which is Atlanta to win their division at plus 200. Because if you win your division, you can't go lower than the four seed. Yeah. So if they're so a four seed, different. now they're in the four or five. Let's say they play Philly. Oh, oh my God. Oh, look at this. They beat Philly again. Now they're in round two. I don't know. It just feels like 32 to one. I'm not betting it just for the record, but I just thought those odds were too high. I'll give you, I'll give you another one since I, I give you a long shot as a, as one to take a flyer on. And that is you get, you sent to us, you text us to this morning, the six men of the year mm. and it being overwhelming favorite. Russell Westbrook. But, <laughs> He's minus 150. But second is Brogdon. Bro, it's a look. Did, maybe FanDuel is unaware of the media's relationship with Russell Westbrook. <laughs> right. But, but if they have the opportunity, if they look at a ballot and Boston ends up with the best record in the league, Malcolm Brogdon is going to get the most amount of votes for that, especially if it's He's like plus two forty right now. I like I know. this. I like what Verno's dropping I, here. And, I, and by the and by the way, where's my guy Tyus Jones on that? 
guy has been unbelievable. Where he's is not Tyus even on the Jones? List. He's not even like not even on the list. It's a Matherin's disgrace. on there. A disgrace. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. I also noticed with the most improved player in a word I fully admit I don't totally understand, but Markinen was minus one forty, and Shea Gilgis Alexander is plus one forty. And yeah. congrats to Markinen. He's having an awesome year, but. Shea Gilgis Alexander went from I'm not an all-star to I am now a franchise guy and one of the 10 best players in the league. Very similar to Ja last year. So yep. Ja won last year, right? He won that award, which I didn't did. understand because I thought he was awesome the year before. But I don't understand by the logic of last year, how is somebody voting for anyone over Shea Gilgis Alexander in that award? It doesn't seems, make sense to me. It seems improbable. I He's read averaging this. 31 points a game and his team is... 500, a team that house when we did over-unders with Brasillo, I think we all went under and it was like 23, 30 over. They've hey, already beaten us. We're not at the All-Star break yet. He, he, he has been an absolute revelation. I mean, when he single-handedly beat the Wiz early in the season, now that's not really saying much, but I mean, I it was a marvel to no, watch. He's destroying. His, his end of the game stuff has been crazy. He's one and, of the best yeah. 10 players in the league. Listen I to the, Listen to this. His 30.7 points, 5.5 assists, 4.8 rebounds, 1.7 steals, and 1.1 blocks a game are matched only by Michael Jordan in 1987-88, also at the age of 24. Wow. I mean, the that's, stats what, are, let's go. that's what he's doing this year. The stats are a little drunk, but still, still, that's crazy. And the other one for me that just for player awards is... I actually was surprised Jokic was minus 110 and that he wasn't a prohibitive favorite because I think they're going to be the one seed and I think he's going to win again. But more importantly, unless House is right about Philly going on this major run right now, I and beat at 8-1 to one, I think is pretty good odds, just good mm -hmm. value because the way Philly, the, I was so impressed by them on that road trip and I always get shit that I, I never talk about Philly enough from my Philly fan friends on the pod. And even this week on Sunday, we didn't really talk about the Eagles-Giants game that much. My Eagle fans' friends were like, oh, yeah, you just gloss over your hero, Danny Dimes. I'm like, what, what are we going to talk about? They got their asses kicked. But I thought Philly showed a lot of character the last week and a half. They they won over House. They made House his favorite future. So Embiid at 8-1, uh, to one, I thought, was kind of decent odds. And then I, Sacramento's 42-1 to one to win the West. You it, did have you did have a real dalliance with Danny Dimes. I mean, you felt you felt had a real. I fell hard. Listen, you did. You fell hard bad. for Dimes. I'm still in. I still think they should pay him. Sacramento forty two to one. Yeah. The only reason I mention is if they made a trade. That's like, is there some huge trade on top of the team they have where they're a three seed, but they have some star that we don't know they're going to have yet, and you have them at forty two to one. I think the only thing I honestly think the only thing that they are missing is rim protection. They need somebody to stop Hurdle? these teams. Burno. You from and KOC did this. Running the guy's layup name lines. is Nick Adams. He's he's the backup in Charlotte. He can't get any time. Nick oh, Adams. I like that guy. I like Nick Adams. Look him up. I, yeah. I thought he was up. that fake guy on the fake conservative guy on Twitter. Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that what that guy's name is? Did Nick I get Adams. the name right or I get the name wrong? I'm pretty sure <laughs> it's Nick Adams. Check out Nick Adams if that's his name. <laughs> KOC's like, KOC he's the backup just, backup in Charlotte. I'm no, telling K you, check K him out. KOC's life's mission is to find a landing spot for Mo Bamba. <laughs> oh, my he God. He just needs Mo Bamba. 
to end up somewhere. So that's well, his. I I, I want to share something that I was doing in the behind the scenes while we were talking this through because Verno really convinced me with the Malcolm Brodigan thing. And SGA, I, I mean, I'm with you guys. You know that FanDuel will let us parlay SGA to win most improved player and Malcolm Brogdon to win sixth man of the year. And do you know what that produces? Uh, what is Two it? Two-leg parlay plus 716. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, wow, that's, that's pretty tasty. talking to me. I that's wish I, kind of, I'm not allowed to bet on the awards. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> I, was, I did a thing. I am allowed to bet on this. Denver to play Cleveland in the finals, which would be a really weird finals, is 44 to 1. Oh, it would be a weird finals. That would be a weird one. I almost feel like they would uh, throw their body in front yeah, of Yeah, and, and I hate, I wish I could just get Cleveland to be in the East finals, not necessarily to win it. Yeah, but they should, maybe yeah. I'll talk to my FanDuel people about this. They, we should be able to bet on the final four. Yeah. It should be the That's four great. teams with all different matchups, and we should just be able to bet on that. I yep. agree. That would be great. Wh- which, which. Give me like all these. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to them about that. Hold on, I got an odds for you. House, yeah. What are the? Do you think he was being dramatic, or what are the true odds that Simmons really gets rid of his Clipper tickets with Mike Tolan? <laughs> less no, than Tolan's 10%. gonna take him over. Tolan will Tolan will take him. I'm gonna you pass say him le- along. You, you say there's less than a ten percent chance that he actually gets rid of. No, actually, him. I'm no, done. I'm out. Yeah, the the reason is because you 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 can go to any game you want to go to. You yeah, know. and also when, when, like when you're the, the Podfather, if you want to go to a basketball game, go to the game. Also, like you, the last in the last hour, you can just go buy tickets on seven exactly. different sites for half price. I don't, exactly I don't right. even know what the so point you of can wait to is. find out who yeah, is playing. Just, yeah, yeah, that's a thing. great point. House, before we go, oh, what, what do you have for finals right now? Just quickly, what do you have, Verna? If you had to pick a finals matchup, what is it? Odds aside. I think I would take uh, a rematch, honestly. I know that sounds wow. crazy. Wow. That's so wow. close to me. I'm saying Golden State, Milwaukee. I mean, I, yeah. was, I was just sitting here prepared to say it. I just, I, I, look. It's so I've funny. Gotta, I have Denver, Milwaukee. I've got to give the Warriors, until they lose, I yeah. think they deserve the I, benefit I totally of the doubt. They, until they lose, they deserve the benefit of the doubt because they have not lost with a healthy Clay Curry, That's Draymond, fair. and so they're the ones that you got. They're the ones you have to beat to get there, in my opinion. They also are going to make a trade that's going to be really helpful to them. Well, they have assets. That's mm. there's multiple guys out there that could swing that. You're right. If we were betting on a trade thing, they have the easiest way to just add somebody awesome. All right, House, you have 60 seconds. And I'm going to time it. 60 seconds. <laughs> I hope this is about 60, ribs. Six zero. To explain to the Laker fans why they need to settle down about the trade that they made this week. 60 seconds. Rui Hachimura, he doesn't like to play basketball. You know how I know this? Ask him last year, will you come play basketball? He had some kind of issue going on. Nobody's been able to really sort it out. The reason that Washington didn't offer him an extension is because he didn't want to play basketball. He is an every other night guy. Look at all the efficiency. They did a wonderful job. Now, you know, there's criticisms that will be fairly levied against the Washington front office, but they propped this dude up. Every fir- first quarter that he said, oh, I'm, I'm healthy, my hamstring doesn't hurt, my calf doesn't hurt, they they would feed him the ball because they've been auditioning his ass for about, you know, 25 games now. They, they didn't make the wrong decision to not extend him. And if you're fine with a guy that will show up one every three nights, Rui Hachimura is, is your guy. Now, if he's coming off the bench as in, in a rotation as an eighth or ninth player, that's fine. He doesn't show up with consistent effort every night. 
and he doesn't show up like he wants to play basketball. That's all. There you go, Verno. Wow. Does it does it show up all the time? LeBron's had a checkered history with guys who don't always like to show up. I would say that's like, because LeBron likes to play basketball and expects a certain level of competitiveness. And it's usually the competitive guys that resonate with LeBron. So I would just be careful. I don't know if, if I were them, I would have moved in on Jay Crowder because even though he's had a weird year, we've still seen him, you know, but I don't know if there's some history with Jay Crowder and LeBron because they played together that year and it was a little weird in Cleveland. Maybe they didn't want to go after him. But uh, I find it hard to believe that's their big move. KOC had this crazy one, and obviously there was some kind of knowledge behind it. And it was about how Van Vliet just changed his, uh, Mm. he just changed his agency and all this stuff, and they're not going to bring it back. And basically, I mean, people can listen to the mismatch for all the details. He explains it all, but it was something like, I think it was Westbrook and the picks for Van Vliet and Trent. Wow. If I was it's a Laker good. fan, I, I'd be so mad if I was a Laker fan. They're not winning the <laughs> title with that. I think it's pretty not. good. You think, are you moving the Lakers in the finals with that trade? I mean, it, it, that would certainly make them much better. That's it's a, just it's a, a pretty of, good trade. It's a fun knock, trade. And they can knock down shots. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? Wait, you mean sixth man of the year, Russell Westbrook might be on the move? I just bet on him at minus 150. (laughs) Oh, that's another. Let's get this parlay. I want this parlay. (laughs) Um, All right. I have to go. You guys have to go. Verno, it was a true pleasure. House, you're the greatest. I Um, I can't wait to see these ribs. In less than two months from now, we will be watching House absolutely stuff his face in Memphis. Get ready for us. Um, Good to see you guys. This episode is brought to you by Nissan SUV. It's good to stay up to date. I mean, we've seen this in basketball. We've seen it in football. We've seen it in baseball. Once the stats started taking off in the 2000s, everybody had to figure that out. Then I remember in basketball, first it was three-pointers. Then it was defensive stats. You just got to keep moving. You got to keep evolving. You got to keep going. Now it's pace and threes. What's it going to be next, big guys? That's why the 2024 Nissan Rogue has Google built right into its 12.3-inch touchscreen infotainment system. With Google Maps, Assistant, and more, you can stay up to date on everything that's ahead without even needing to connect your phone. Find your next adventure with the Nissan SUV. Learn more about the Rogue, Pathfinder, and Armada SUVs at NissanUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra. Not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at McLobeUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, we're taping this part of the podcast. It is 11 in the morning Pacific time. The Oscar nominations came out today. Wesley Morris and I circled this on the calendar a while ago. He's a two-time Pulitzer winner. He's an incredible movie thinker, and he was just as disappointed in the 2022 movies as I was. 
Top Gun got nominated. That was fun. I was excited about that. There were some good performances nominated, but for the most part, looking at the list of movies and performances, what a weird year. Is this it's one of the weirdest years to you? Yeah. I think I think this this year is the year that kind of proves that the movies have changed, right? I mean, this is a thing that that has been happening for more than a decade now. Um, but the movies are they're not the the bigness of the movies is not really the story of the movies now. It really is sort of in some way about like odd like niches for these movies, right? Like every one of these movies has a constituency. And the constituencies are dry. I mean, all all quiet on the Western Front, that's a constituency thing. And you can tell the story of that movie's what how many nominations did it get? Seven? Um Yeah, a lot. I mean, it 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 is very well nominated and it's the best picture nominee. It's a French movie, um, you know, basically, you know, based on the novel. And <laughs> I think it is proof in many ways, this is kind of a good thing, right? Um, the the way that on the on the one hand, I would put it that way. I'd put it on the one hand. Like you look at the best picture nominees, you look at the 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 people nominated for acting, although that's a different story than it than it has been in the past. There's just like the 10 best picture nominees. This is basically the result of the Academy's expansion. Right? Like I don't I'm scared to know what 10 movies you'd have gotten <laughs> before, you know, five years ago or six years ago, based on the movies we got this year. But I do think that I like the idea that the people, you know, the Oscars are important to me because it's the story of the people who make our movies, right? It's what the people who make our movies think good movies are. But now there is this political valence to it that means, you know, the, the broadcast has to be kept in mind. The money has to be kept in mind. And all of the sort of identitological factors that go into the Academy's credibility have to be kept in mind. I'm not saying that to a voter, they're sitting there thinking, yeah, but should, I need should to... art work that way though? Of course it shouldn't, but we're not taught, but we're talking about the Academy Awards bill. <laughs> if you want to talk know, about but, what the, what state the I movies are in. You said, but then how does the woman King not get nominated? I would have thought like for wherever we are in 2023, it's a great question. That's a lock that checks all the boxes. Cause that was a really successful movie with a great star that we both really like and like to see in movie screens. And then she doesn't get, she doesn't get nominated and the movie doesn't get nominated. I love the woman King, but let's be honest about, I mean, here's the thing. Let's not be crazy about what the woman King is for as much as I enjoyed it. Um, the woman King is a Victor mature movie with Viola Davis, right? It's a movie that was made, that could have been made every month in 1958, right? <laughs> it's a sword and sandal movie. I mean, although I got, I did get, somebody did write to say that, you know, you can't officially be a sword and sandal movie because for, for a variety of reasons. Anyway, it's basically what it is. It's a movie that never would have gone near the Oscars. <laughs> right. When those and movies were things people were lining up to see. So the idea that it's not one of the 10 best picture nominees in, in, in movie historical terms makes all the sense in the world. I was fine with that, though. I was really surprised by the Viola Davis and, and just her not getting it. And then this incredible Surprise. story of Andrew Riseborough, this movie that I, I, I saw 
almost all the screeners. Mm, this wasn't mm. even on the radar and it didn't even seem like this was a possibility until about two weeks ago. And this was an old boys network, a bunch of celebrities throwing parties, trying to get her nominated, basically putting this tweet storm slash party storm out in the two weeks that led up to when they were doing the voting. Mm-hmm, and I, I don't mm-hmm. know the rules. I, we never get to see like how many first place votes somebody got. Maybe they'll eventually release that at some point. But all of a sudden she's in there in a movie that nobody has an opinion on. Yeah, I know. I I I think Fantasy might have seen it. He might be the I've only one it. I know him. You saw it. So I've seen was it. it. Was it? She's Oscar-worthy? great. She's great. Of course, yes. She. I mean, look. I love Andrea Riseborough. I okay. you know put her put her in almost everything. She was my favorite thing in in Birdman. Anyway, the point is, if this can happen, right? Like where where I don't know who broke the story on on these parties for Andrea Riseborough. But Matt, Be- Matt Bellany talked about that. He, he basically unwrapped the mystery of how this happened, who was the source behind it. It was dire- well, the director's girlfriend, Mary McCormick. So, oh, okay. Interesting. Or director's so, wife, whatever she was. I fully expect this to be a thing that happens now, which is the opposite of the way the campaigns used to work, which is like they were, I mean, obviously there was a lot of glad handing happening among Academy members for people who were potentially nominated or nom- no, eligible for nomination. But this is more like, this is somehow like stranger and deeper, but also kind of more moving than that. <laughs> like when her name popped up on screen, I was like, what? It worked. And I'm like, who's not going to get nominated? But at that point you already knew because it was Viola Davis. Her name hadn't come up. Um, and so... I don't know. I just find that so fascinating. You're, so you're pro Riseboro. You like this. I like the performance. I like the performance. I think it really, it really is a good performance. But I, I think that the way that happened where, you know, I mean, there's the best actress category is notoriously full of, of performances like this. Jessica Lange won an Academy Award essentially with the two Leslie, right? Like Blue yep. Sky is a movie nobody had seen. It was not a hit. I don't know how many theaters it ultimately wound up opening in before she got an Academy Award nomination. But this is basically that, except this year for women in movies was better than 1994 was the year Jessica Lange, uh, the year Blue Sky came out. I thought, so, so I was thinking like still Alice with Julianne Moore when she won for that. That's another, that's another one. Yep. But yep. I I do feel like people at least were aware of that movie. They did a good job with the screeners. And I think a, at least some people checked it out. This one kind of came out of nowhere the last three weeks. And you yes. have to be a deep, deep, deep movie nerd if you saw this. Also, we're talking about Jessica Lange and um, Julianne, Julianne Moore, Moore versus yeah. Andrea Riseborough, right? Like most people don't even, most people have seen, most people have seen Andrea Riseborough in something, Um, but they, you know, she's, she's one of those, um, you know, who's that actors, right? Like, like she's a, that guy. And um, I I, I would think for me, she's that lady from Birdman. Yeah. I mean, everybody will have, you know, she did the, my favorite Black Mirror episode. Um, yeah. my best, the best acted Black Mirror episode stars Andrea Riseborough. And for anybody who has not seen that, it is the most stressful viewing experience. Um, have you seen that one? No. I'm just, no, I mean, I my blood pressure just went up thinking about it. Um, but I think that 
there's a there's so many things happening in this organization now. It's very very big. It's bigger than it's ever been. I think it's you know they're going to be at not ever be at ten thousand people soon if they aren't already. Um, well, let me, let so me that, throw some let me throw some big questions at you, and then we can talk about like all the all the people that we have now that are in this and why some of this stuff happens. Like, so they made some of these changes. So Top Gun and Avatar and movies of that ilk would actually have a chance to be nominated for Best Picture. They re-rigged they the voting. People, they re-rigged it. They made they, 10 movies instead of five going, going back 12 years. But also um, they want situations where Top Gun and Tom Cruise can be there in the first row with a movie that got nominated. Yes. So from that respect, that worked. Um, I think one of the things that's interesting to me in 2022, just looking back at a year, is how many good directors made a movie and how few of them are in these nominations? Yep. Like just yep. directors that weren't nominated, David O. Russell, Jordan Peele, Noel Baumbach, Olivia Wilde, everybody was excited about. Luca Guadagnino. Mm -hmm. He made mm -hmm. that weird Chalamet movie. Mm -hmm. uh, Chazelle. Mm -hmm. Like we actually had most of our good directors made a movie this year. And yet it's funny that Spielberg and Cameron <laughs> were two of, the, two of the people that had the biggest success, like two of our OGs, people that we probably yeah. thought maybe they were even long in the tooth. And then, uh, you know, we had um, Martin McDonough, who, wait, where'd you stand on the Banshees movie? Just out of curiosity. I really like it. Okay. I, I'm not I'm not a Martin McDonough person, but this movie is is so uh, beautifully philosophical and is so it's so perfectly done. And I will say that like of all of his movies, it's the it's the one that is set where he's from in at least spiritually, right? He's not I don't feel like anything is trying to be proven here. I think this is a movie about art and friendship and connection. I also think it's secretly a gay movie, which is also kind of appealing in some ways to me. Um, but I think it really is about like th these ideas of, of, our, of purity and this question of like the question the movie itself raises about the difference between like whether you'd rather be remembered as nice or forgotten for being nice or remembered as being great, regardless of whether or not you were nice. I mean... It sounds obvious, but somehow in this movie, it's so, it's so deep. And there's something about Colin Farrell's determination to have his niceness be more important than, than, yeah. than Brendan Gleeson's belief in art, you know, you know, making it irrelevant whether or not he's a good person or not. It's, it's really, really a great piece of writing and, and the movie itself really got me. I really like the location. Yeah. I just felt like I was on vacation for the two hours. Um, it's really weird. It's really unusual, memorable movie. Like I can't remember seeing a movie like that. And I thought it was like for the arc of Colin Farrell's career mm -hmm. and just like whatever you think of how it went and how it should have gone. And you th almost think of him like you would think like an athlete who had some issues and his career didn't turn out totally the way you would have thought. Um, he's really good at it. I think he's, probably going to win best actor. He's I mean, the one I would bet on. Looking at um, these five people. <laughs> yeah. Like, Bill, only four of these 20 people have been nominated for Oscars before. I thought that was incredible. I mean, I don't know if my math is right, but I counted four previous nominees and that's it. So, 
I thought that to me felt like an Oscar movie, old school, middle school, new school, whatever you want to call it. And then yeah, Tar, that would in in the old days it would have been one of the five nominees, uh, the Banshees of Inisherin for sure. And then Tar, mm-hmm. which I'm not gonna say like I want to watch Tar ten times, but goddamn, I respected the hell out of it, and yeah, I thought I, that to oh, me that's that a was a great the, way to put it. That was the performance of the year. Mm-hmm. I thought that mm-hmm. was when we do like best of the decade kind of shit. Blanchett's going to be in there. And I also thought big picture just for her as an actress and and uh, just to think of it like in a sports way, um, really like taking the torch officially as probably the best actress of the last 20, 25 years. Wherever you want to say Streep starts tailing off a little bit and mm-hmm. who's next, mm-hmm. I just think it's her. And I think there were a lot of candidates for that spot and a lot of people who kind of put the crown on for two seconds. But if yeah. you go back to her with Talented Mr. Ripley, that era, like, you know, mid-late 90s, all the way through, she's had the best 25 years of anybody. Oh, yeah. I mean, in her, she's in that class of people with Gwyneth Paltrow, Penelope Cruz, Marion Cotillard, um, uh, uh, Angelina Jolie. I mean, she's in, you know, she's in a great class of of young actors in 1999 and 1998. Well, but think, and think how some of those people went sideways, right? Angelina yep. Jolie's celebrity overtook her career and she was a- never able to recover from it. Gwyneth Paltrow, who's one of your favorites, you wrote a great piece about her once and we talked about it once on a rewatchable. It's like all the tools just kind of veered the wrong way, but still had like an incredible amount of talent. Kate Blanchett always just, just kind of kept cruising along. She has two Oscars already. This is going to be the third. Like she's definitely winning and this was the best one. I don't know. I think Michelle Yeoh... Oh, come on. Michelle Yeoh could win. Come on. I mean, because, well, listen, I I think that, first of all, I think she's good in the movie. I think that there is, you know, you got to think about who the Academy is now, too. You know, I mean, there, it's a, it's an, it is, it is a very international group of people. And I, I think that Michelle Yeoh is one of the biggest stars on earth you know, historically speaking. That's true. And she is the sentimental, I mean, every, most years as a person who you're just like, I love this person too much to not vote for them. They're too important. They're So owed. you think it's one of those, it's like a career vote almost and Blanchett already has her too? I'm not going to say this is sin of a woman because I also think that she's just very good in the movie. But yeah. it's that, it's that flavor of, of, of contest where you have this, you've got, you've got a different kind of veteran than Kate Blanchett. You've definitely got, you know, she's older than Kate Blanchett. And, you know, there are millions and millions and millions of people for whom Michelle Yeoh is like, you know, really important. They're like the number one top movie star. Um, I know some people who the first hour of Tar kind of threw them off and they just didn't like it that much because they didn't really fully, especially like people watching at home. I thought, yeah. I thought it was an incredible achievement. As I said, I would have wanted to watch it 10 times, but I thought what she did in that movie was like an old school, A plus, holy shit, I will remember this 20 years from now kind of performance. And I don't know, I, I just, I, I don't know how that doesn't win, but you're right, it might not. She might not, I mean, but to like, you know, just thinking about how these things work, Thinking about who, what the Academy is, who's in it. The fact that she has two Oscars already. I mean, I just feel like, you know, it would not surprise me if, if Michelle Yeoh won. Like, I mean, I'd be happy if Michelle Yeoh won. I, again, like, 
I think that there is a way that she operates in this movie. She's very funny in, in everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, I think the way she uses her body and her face, which, which you know, her classic movies don't really care that much about because so much of it is is body work. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I, I have, I have some... I have some questions about the movie. It really it, it really gets home by the end. Um, but I think that in terms of like the surprise of it, I mean, a movie like that versus Tar, um, where Tar is like a straight ahead kind of existential, like with this little tiny frisson of like surrealism or magic realism. I don't know what that little stretch when she goes into the building to find the girl is about. Um, although I will tell you between this and Top Gun, I am sick of the, it was all a dream. <laughs> That's it. Takes you're done. On these films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, it's not a dream. <laughs> no. Well, the thing with Tar, and this is one of the reasons we penciled this and we want to talk about it. Tar was about something. Mm-hmm. And you texted this to me and we were talking about why we were so disappointed with all these movies and just where, where we are with movies and heading into 2000. 23 of the next 11 months. And I like that Tar was about something that is in, in the culture and in the Mm -hmm. air right now in Mm -hmm. a real way. And Mm -hmm. in the old days, the movies I grew up with, whatever was going on in the world always ended up in movies in some way. And people trying to take like, oh, this is happening and I'll do a movie about this. And it wasn't literal. It wasn't just social media. It wasn't just me texting you. I like this. I don't like this. This sucks. This is great but somebody taking something that was out there, flipping it, doing a story about it. And then as you're watching this perfectly crafted story, it's actually about this whole other thing. Mm. And to Mm -hmm. me, watching Tar, it was the fundamental question of it is like, this person's truly great and they're a bad person. How do we reconcile this? Mm -hmm. What do you do with greatness after you've been shunned because of your behavior, which is the thing we've been talking about for the last six years? And I thought it really said something and meant something. And I thought the performance meant something. And I don't, maybe I'm, maybe I'm too optimistic, but I just don't know why we can't have four or five of these every year. I don't, well, I mean, interestingly, I'm trying to do some math on the 10 movies. I think this movie, in a Sheeran, in its way, um, worth, you know, it's got the war in the background and these questions about art and goodness and, 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 and purity and authenticity. Women Talking, which is a movie I can't believe works, but it really mm. works. Did you watch it? I did. I, I, I thought that movie was so smart and had such a difficult thing to do, which was be very obvious about it can't hide from its subject matter because its subject matter is basically the impetus of the conversations that these women are having about what to do in the wake of them all being assaulted um, as part of this this community that they're in. Um, I just, that movie really got me. There are a couple speeches that Judith Ivey has where I just, I just sat in the theater and did everything I could to stop myself from crying, but it didn't work. Um, I well, think and those it was interesting movies, that that came out, it came out the same year as she said, Right, right, which is right. like the worst version of those kind of movies where I, it I, just, you know, it was basically like spotlight after a head injury. Um, yes. And it was tough to watch. It just wasn't good. It felt like a Lifetime movie. So that that was why I thought it was important that woman talking. That was like, this is how you do this. This is how and you I, do it. 
Um, I and I also think that, you know, one of the things that, that, that I'm sort of wondering about with respect to where the movies are, especially once you look at these nominations, is all those great directors that you were that you listed off earlier. <laughs> most of those movies, and if you can, can include Sam Mendes in this, mm. um, a lot of those movies are about the past. You know, they're about movie making in the past, right? They're about these bygone eras of American life that don't really attempt to address what it's like to live now. Or it's, it's in more, the, or they're alternate universe movies that aren't the universe we're in now. Right, right. And I think that there is this mm, uncertainty about what to do with the moment that we're in. And I think it makes something like what Todd Field is doing in Tar all the more admirable for its going in there and, and just trying to figure something out for itself, right? This, this is a man with clearly some axes to grind. <laughs> like the end of that movie, th that movie is initially about a woman, about a situation that, that many people conversationally have found themselves in or if, if you're in a certain, you know, sort of social situation. Um, and, you know, there is a kind of um, what would you do if dot, dot, dot. Like, yep. if, what would you do if this happened to you? The, the, the turn the movie takes in the, like, you know, you know the moment the movie takes the turn um, when she goes and does the thing at the, the concert. It turns real mean in a way yeah. that says to me that the person who made it, Todd Field, has some axe to grind with, with not just where we are right now, but the way we are talking about uh, where we are. Um, it's well, you know really the, fascinating. The other thing I really liked about it, not to spend the whole time talking about Tarvis, is just not self-conscious at all. Mm -mm, and no! I think, and I think a lot of these movies the last couple of years have just felt really self-conscious to me. Just like it, they've already predetermined what the reaction is going to be with mm -hmm, this, this, mm -hmm, this. Mm -hmm, I thought mm -hmm. that was one of the interesting things about Top Gun. Top mm -hmm. Gun's like, you know what? Just come to the movies. Have a good time with us for two hours. This is Tom Cruise. He might be 85 years old. He might be 40. <laughs> it doesn't even matter anymore. He's kind of timeless. He might have been CGI'd and replaced. He might be an alien. We don't know. We Just don't come, know. come hang out with Tom Cruise and his new cast of people in Miles Tower. is going to kind of look like Anthony Edwards. Um, I watch, Ben and I watch this, um, Ben loves 80 movies, my son. Mm -hmm. And one movie that's not streaming anywhere is The Sure Thing with John Cusack. It was Whoa, rough. it's not? It's not streaming anywhere. Hmm. Found it on YouTube and we oh. watched it on YouTube. And I was thinking like, even this movie, I'm not sure they make now. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, he's going 3,000 miles. And maybe this is why it's not on streaming. Maybe Rob Reiner's embarrassed about it. But he's got, he's... There's so miles. many other things Rob Reiner should be embarrassed about. <laughs> it's very true. You're going to start uh, there? Yeah, true. Maybe North start with. Uh, <laughs> but in the movie, for people listening, John Cusack is in college and he goes 3,000 miles because his friend from high school has this girl who they go to college with who's a short thing. And he's like, come here. You'll definitely have sex. And he's going with uh, cross country with Daphne Zuniga's character who's going to see her boyfriend. And it ends up being like a, you know, a road trip slash two people fall in love. It was really good. Yeah. But I don't yeah. think they make, they're going to make that movie now. And it's not even that controversial. It's like, who cares? No. But I, I, it just made me think like everything is so self-conscious now. 
that we're not even making movies like that as much. Well, think about all of the movies that we've been getting about people we already know, right? Like, I mean, mm, I'm sure like that Elvis. when you and Sean Fennessy and I have talked about this stuff before, I've probably complained about the my least favorite genre in movies, which is the biography. Um, I don't like them. I, I feel like for actors, they're terrible, especially with actors you know, right? Because then you've got these conflicting, these high pressure systems of stardom where everything you know about this one person is sort of like retrofitted to fit a mold that we that we all understand to be this other person. Yeah. And sometimes that can be interesting. And but most of the time, I feel like it's 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 easy and it's safe and there's no real risk involved because. You don't have to invent anything truly new. Um, and I'm not saying that every every biopic performance is inherently not interesting. Um, but I do think that it doesn't give an actor, to me, it doesn't give an actor a lot of organic room to do something that they don't normally do, especially well, they, now. Because they're doing an SNL performance. They're doing, they're impersonating somebody. It's, there's another piece of it though. And I think the same thing's happening with documentaries because it's really bothering me with documentaries, especially as somebody who's made almost a hundred of them at this point. Documentaries are moving into this weird territory that I think biopics have already moved into. And it's the same thing that is the difference if you read a book, if you read a biography versus an autobiography. Right. If I read an autobiography, if I'm reading Spare from the reprehensible Prince Harry, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just reading his take on the events, yeah, right? Yeah, There's no yeah. journalism in it. There's no checks and balances. It's just like, here are my takes. And he can do whatever he wants with it. And as I'm reading it, I know it's an autobiography. And I'm I'm taking everything with an entire salt shaker, right? Biopics have started to turn into that. Documentaries have 100% turned into that. We see most of the time, if somebody's going to sit down for an interview or somebody's going to be involved with a project, it's really hard to do it unless they're like an EP or unless they get mm, to look at a cut. Mm -hmm, we had, mm -hmm, we dealt mm -hmm. with this with music box with a couple mm -hmm. of the ones that we did. Um, artists, whoever, celebrities, whoever are really going to turn over the IP to somebody else and be like, you know what? I'm happy to help with an interview. You take it wherever you want to go. And we're seeing this happen now with like, like something like this Elvis movie where yeah. the Elvis estate was involved. Right. So it's like, well, what's the movie? Eh, Colonel Tom Parker. He ruined Elvis. None of yeah. this was Elvis's fault. They're not going to spend time in an Elvis movie talking about that Elvis was a fucking druggie for like seven, eight years, right? That that he could barely like function by yeah. the time he died. The fact that he died when he was 42, which is four years older than LeBron James, they're going to just make Colonel Parker the bad guy and do this really weird version of an Elvis biopic that makes him sympathetic. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm so bored by biopics. Who's going to do the biopic that's actually, you know, like even like the Tina Turner movie with that Angela Bassett mm, made. That was mm -hmm. really good with Ike. Right. And it's like, Ike's a fucking villain in that movie. And Fishburne was amazing in that. Would they even make that movie anymore? No, no, they wouldn't. I think because, I mean, it's interesting that you, that you bring up what's love got to do with it. Because that is a movie that is about two people's perspective on a relationship in some way. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's based on Tina's book. I don't know if she was explicitly involved, but I mean, I, it was adapted from my Tina, the book she wrote with Kurt Loder. Um, but I think that, you know, what you have there is a clash between two people in a way. 
And it's not meant to... I mean, I think that movie is really interested in being entertaining before it was interested in being right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Um, whereas you watch something, like even a movie I like, like King Richard, right? That movie wasn't about what a complex and difficult person Richard Williams is. It's really about what it what he and Orisine Williams did to get the the fam- he, what he and Orisine did to get that family to some different station in life. And as right? you know, I love that movie, but the Williams sisters were also executive producers, right? Right, like, exactly. So you 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 know going in, all right, this is going to be slanted a certain way and I was fine with it. I loved King Richard. I as did I. And I think that in these movies, you know, the thing about the biopic, and I don't know how much time we really want to spend talking about these movies, but like, I think the great, the great innovation of them was basically, um, what's his face writing so many of them? Who's the the guy who wrote The Queen? Peter Morgan. I think the Peter Morganization of this idea is really interesting to me because he's focusing on moments as opposed to an entire life. I think that he, the liberties he takes, and I know that there's a lot of controversy with the crown um, and the way he's handled, you know, the the royal family. But he has a point of view and it is expressed in these films. And I kind of like that way of thinking about how to approach these movies. But again, I don't need more of them. And, you know, unless you really have something to say in which I, I will see them, in which case I will see the movie and determine for myself. But in, but to stick with Elvis for a second, the, the Elvis problem I had, aside from the fact that it is completely delusional about, <laughs> you know, you have B.B. King literally saying to Elvis, go on and steal my music. I don't care. The people are going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I just feel like what. Austin Butler is doing in that film is confusing to me because I don't know who Austin Butler is, right? Like I know who he is as a tabloid person, yeah. but I don't know who this person is going to be going forward. Is he going to make more movies? What's he going to do? How's it going to go? I don't know. But, you know, I, I feel like he's sort of, I don't know what he does after this. I'm curious because the movies are different now. He won't, this won't be, it obviously isn't a thing that he didn't make two other movies last year. And this was the one that like, this was his Academy Awards movie. This well, is going to be. Interesting. You know what's interesting about Elvis? Did, so did you kind of not like it? Did you sort of like it or did you like it? I, I think Elvis had one great idea, which is the sex, right? The idea that anytime this guy got on stage and moved his body the way Boz Lerman arranged the response to, to 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 Austin Butler's Elvis moving his body is the single best idea anybody had in a movie for a movie last year. I didn't like the whole movie. I thought a lot of it, it was, you know, it's classic Lerman bloat. Um, but that one idea, as 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 cinematically expressed by Boz Lerman, was so good that I felt like they should have just done that for two and a half hours because it was exciting. But anytime he wasn't moving or he wasn't in front of a microphone, the movie was dead. I really respected that specific part of it. I'm glad you pointed it out. I don't like his movies, but I really respect them. I'm glad he exists. I just don't personally like the movies. I thought it was interesting. Uh, my friend Lasker was a talent agent. He was saying the reason he thought Elvis had this moment, because I, I was like stunned that it got nominated for 
Best Picture. I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. That that yeah. was one of but the But it was a huge movies. hit. It but, made a well, lot of money. Okay, so why was it a huge hit? And his take was that the over 60 audience, they all saw it and they all liked it because they were there mm. for Elvis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people like my daughter, who also liked it, they liked it because Austin Butler. So mm -hmm. it had these two camps, right? Over 60 people and basically girls 22 and under yeah. who just liked Austin Butler. And Austin yeah. Butler's like a big star to, yeah. you know, a certain demo. And yeah. I think that's why I made it. But that one didn't make sense to me. And then the other one that didn't make sense to me, I, I was stunned by this, was not only that Anita Armas was nominated, but that it was always like she was, she was pen, penciled in and penned like two months ago. And it was like, mm. that's one of the worst movies I've seen in the last five mm. years. I thought it was yeah. awful. It's mm. not entertaining. Mm. Um, it, it, there's nothing good about it. I wouldn't recommend it to one person I know. I fucking hated I it. I wouldn't subject anybody to that movie. How it did, was, so how does somebody get nominated for a movie that's that bad? I think you, I mean, here's an important thing to just remember. And this is to sort of, this is to rope in what happened to Viola Davis and what happened to Andrea Riseborough, which is the actors nominate the actors. Each branch in the Academy nominates its own group, right? Cinematographers yeah. nominate cinemato cinematographers. Editors do editors. Costume designers do costume designers. And actors do actors. I wonder if this was not like sympathy for for the for the combat pay that that woman probably earned mm -hmm. making You're this You're probably movie. right. No, that's a good I theory. Think, I think there's a way in which the suffering that we are, that is evident in this performance. This, it's not a performance of suffering. It's, it seems to me to be suffering during performance. Um, all right. So I let's go backwards and let's give Meryl Hemingway the best actress for Star 80. Like, there's, there's so plenty, many people. Plenty of there's actors so many and actresses people. who've yeah. suffered Maria for a two-hour movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's, there's so many people who could get... But I think, though... This is what I'm saying about the changes in the way that the Academy is thinking about its role. I'm not yeah. even, it could just be that the actors branch, there are enough actors in the actors branch that were, that just loved this performance and thought it was great. The movie's um, unwatchable. How could anybody even survive two Bill, and a half hours Bill, of it? It's Bill, fucking unwatchable. I'm with you. I don't, it was brutal for me to sit through. Um, Wait, but I think I a couple more movie questions. Yeah. Yeah. What happened to Nope? <laughs> what happened to what happened to Jordan Peele? Look, I I didn't That's a great question. I'm not gonna be watching this movie 20 times over the next 10 years, but there's another one where I really respected it. So we had some movies that are like, man, I really respect that movie. And then uh, that that got nominated and rewarded. And then nope, did it come out too early? Like what happened? I think I don't think it came out too early. I think that people they think Jordan Peele is a weirdo. I don't think that they get Jordan Peele, honestly. I truly don't. Mm. I think that they think that, I don't know what they think, honestly. I think that the movie was, I mean, it's it's a divisive movie for people who really wanted to try to understand what it was about, right? Yeah. I think I've had a lot of conversations, I don't know if you have, about people who were trying to interpret it and it didn't make any sense and why were the following 15 things happening and I didn't care, the alien looked like, I don't even understand why did the alien look like that? What was the ending about? Why are we spending all this time with the horses? Uh, you know, what was, is the surveillance stuff, does it make any sense to me? What was all the stuff with Stephen Wen? I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. I quit. I give up. 
I feel like there's so much happening in this movie. It is deep. Um, it is not frivolous, but I, I, I think that I think there's a way in which there's a kind of fun popcorn movie that the Academy really doesn't need to bother with if it didn't make as much money as Top Gun. If Top Gun had made $190 million in the, at the North yeah. American box office, we wouldn't be talking, it wouldn't be at the Academy Awards. It just wouldn't be. And I think that, you know, well, but wait on top on Top Gun though. Yeah, people just loved it, and at some I, point, at some point that matters. Like I know a shitload of people saw Avatar, right? Yeah, I had so many more Top Gun conversations than Avatar conversations. People went, they were like, "Whoa, that was cool." Um, it was kind of a thing you just had to be in the theater and then leave the theater and turn to the person you saw the movie with and that be like, is "Yeah, fair. that was cool." That Whereas is fair. Top Gun, people were like, "Did you see Top Gun yet?" Holy shit. I'm going again. People are going like two, three, four times and there it's, just hadn't been a movie like that in so long. I think that's what it was though, right? I mean, that's the nostalgia part of that, that phenomenon because it is so rarely given to us in that way. It was the perfect storm of, of nostalgia timing, right? It came out at the beginning of what we all spiritually understand as summer movie season, right? It came at the, it came, I think it opened on Labor Day, on Memorial Day weekend. And it had Tom Cruise, a person who, no matter how much shit we want to talk about this person, he means something to us. And he means something to us in a very limited way now, right? He can't play anybody other than now, you know, Maverick. He can only and, play Tom Cruise. Ethan Hunt, yeah. Right? yeah, right. Well, he can't even play Tom Cruise anymore. He has to play Tom yeah. Cruise playing these other two guys. Um, but, but he'll never make another the same McCoy. guy. What are you talking about? Maverick and Ethan Hunter are the same guy. <laughs> what, what, how are they different? Give me, give me two ways those two guys are different. I watched Top Gun next to two 10-year-olds who don't know who Ethan Hunt is at all, but they know who Maverick is now and they probably will not want to see Mission Impossible. Everybody else will go, but those two kids are going to be like, I don't know. I just want to watch Top Gun again. But you're right. I think that there was a way in which that movie meant something to people in a, in a way that Nope just did not for a lot of folks. Um, and I do think, I really think that people were just polarized by it. They didn't get it. And they I, think um, Jordan Peele's I weird. Thought Top Gun, I thought Top Gun was going to win the Oscar. Ooh. And the more I look at it, this is Jimmy and Sal and I, we're going to bet on it. We're waiting. I think the odds are like almost 10 to 1 at this point. The more I look at this and the more I kind of read the room, and I'm not ready to make an official pick yet. I might mm. might make it like a week from now. It feels it feels like it's going to be the Fablements. Mm -hmm. That's it. Fair. Feels like it's going to be Spielberg's. You know, this is fifty years of Spielberg. The fact that Judd Hirsch got nominated to me was like a red flag for <laughs> for a red flag for it getting nominated or, or for it winning the best Oscar. I was like, all right, if he's getting nominated, this movie actually has a chance and should be considered the favorite. Um, I, I think it should be considered the favorite. I think everywhere, everything, everywhere, all at once is going to win. Um, oh, really? Okay. hundred percent. Yes. Uh, I, I think the thing about the Fablemans is, you know, Steven Spielberg suffers from Steven Spielberg syndrome, right? Like everybody is so familiar with Steven Spielberg. They think that they're always going to get another chance to give him more. And so let's not give it to him now. And, you know, I actually think West Side Story, I couldn't believe that movie. 
I loved it. I thought it was great. It was, there are two sequences. I mean, this is a guy who, however old he is, what is he, 75 now? 70, 72, 73? He's mid-70s. This is a guy who is still enjoying making movies. There are shots in the Fablemans that he's never done before. I was talking to my friend Eric Hines about this a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I was telling him that he was asking me, you know, if I were making a list, which I didn't make this year, um, what I would put on it. And I, I didn't really have very good answers because, you know, I, I don't like being put on the spot that way. So he was telling me what he loved. And he got to the Fablemans and I was surprised that he chose the Fablemans. And not because it was bad, just because that was like maybe his second or second or third or first favorite movie from last year. And we had this conversation about what was so exciting about that movie, which is that this is a guy, even if you didn't, if you, if you told me that Damien Chazelle made the Fablemans, I would, I would have believed you. I would have believed that, that a, you know, a 38, 39 year old man had made that movie, not however old Steven Spielberg is. This is, there's a passion there. There is a kind of, I mean, admitted old fashionedness, but it is, it is a movie of very interesting ideas. It is a director reckoning with who he, who he is as a person that he never really wanted to deal with, I, I think, as a younger person. But at this age, you know, thinking about mortality and what his legacy is and where he came from, there's some deep shit in this movie. And just the idea that Michelle Williams is basically playing every single woman in every single Steven Spielberg movie is just... It's just, it's just really beautiful. <laughs> I was psyched that she became leading actress instead of supporting actress. Cause as you know, I hate when uh, they cheat category. with that category and she's in pretty much the entire movie. I mean, I, yes. I don't know how you could she's say a she lot was a it. supporting actress. That would have been stupid. Yeah. Um, I, I liked it. And by the way, if you now gold derby is the one that has the odds, who knows, but oh, okay. they have Fablemans at 15 to do and they have 15 to two and they have everything everywhere all at once at 13 to two and Banshees is 15 to two and Top Gun is 17 to two. And I think those are the, those are the four. There might be, I could see an all quiet on the Western front kind of <laughs> mild push at some point just for, cause you know, the whole war movie thing. But, um, we didn't talk about that. We didn't, I didn't like the whale. Oh no, 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 no! We're, we're not doing. I don't that. understand the whale. What, like, what is there I, to I understand? Just, it's like everyone decided before anyone saw it. Hey, this is an Oscar movie, Brendan Fraser, and then it's. I I just thought it was not good. But isn't this what the whole problem is, Bill? That the you know that is a movie that is essentially engineered for the thing that wound up happening to it, right? Which yeah. is that. It, you know, it is officially a genre. Oscar Oscar movie is a genre. Now, regardless of what the people who make it intend, if you put that shit out between September and December, I don't care what you tell me. Yeah. Somebody wanted to win an Oscar. Jordan Peele, I mean, he's not thinking about the Academy Awards. And I think in a weird way, it kind of works against you, Right. Like, if you aren't trying to play, and I'm not saying this to a voter, but I think systemically, I think that a movie like The Whale, there's precedent for this movie. You've seen this movie a thousand times, whether it was on, you know, a made-for-TV movie of the week, which I think this kind of is, or, you know... Kind of. Like, <laughs> writ large, you know, any movie about an issue that, that you know, where a main character is trying to overcome some 
psychological or physical hurdle. Um, I just don't. The thing about this movie is, I don't know if what bug, bugged you about it was the was the was the tone of it, the way everybody talked to each other. It's fucking depressing and not fun to watch. And yeah, I didn't like being in that world. I, I don't know. I just there there's look. nothing. And you know, I don't know if you know this about me, Bill. I'm the biggest Hong Chow fan. I love Hong Chow. Love her, love her as the day is long. She had a great, she was the best thing in the menu to me. She was the woman who like brought like everybody. Menu. Yeah. I mean, anyway, I love Hong Chow. I did not even like Hong Chow in this movie. I I just, Bad. it did not, it was the tone. It was so absurdic and so mean. And I didn't believe the setup between the kid and the, and the guy, the, the kid who kept coming back to the house. And then when he turns his camera on, I won't even... It just, it's so hoary and so unoriginal. It is like watching somebody beg to be taken seriously in a completely different way. Um, which, I mean, in this person, in this case, it's Darren Aronofsky. I don't, I don't know. You know, this is a guy with a sensibility, made some interesting movies, great eye. Um, I don't know. Nothing about this <laughs> makes sense for the way he thinks about you know, how movies should work. I just um, think it, w it was one of many really weird movies by good directors, mm -hmm. which is one of the legacies of 2022, like Babylon, which I thought was insufferable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that whole party scene that goes That's on for the like Damien 10 Giselle minutes. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that 10 minute party scene near the top, which is just like completely insane. It was actually kind of fun to watch, but I don't, that movie didn't really seem to have a point of view or a reason to exist other than no. he just wanted to try some cool stuff and work with some cool actors. But yeah. I have no idea why that movie was made or what the point was. I find it really, I mean, I'm just going to say this again. I feel like if Spielberg had made Babylon, nobody would have batted an eyelash. <laughs> if it, That is an old man's movie and, and weirdly, Fableman's is a young man's movie. Mm. And right, the idea so we like that- the fa So Fableman's versus everything all, everywhere all at once. Yeah, you think those it's are, those too. I think so it's Top Gun's two. not going to win Best Oscar. I was so fired up for Cruz. No, he's, I mean, I, the prize is that it made $2 billion or whatever. That's the prize. You know how these things work. I will say, I, I, you know, I love screeners. I love watching all these movies. My two favorite scenes of the year were both in Top Gun. What the are scene the two when, scenes? When, uh, when Goose's son starts playing great balls of fire and Cruz is, gets, is about to leave the bar and then has makes the Tom Cruise face <laughs> and then has the flashbacks. It's fucking emotional. And then uh, the Val Kilmer scene is like one of the great six minutes of the decade so far. Oh my God. Okay. That scene's unbelievable. In the theater, people were having, everybody was choked up. Hmm. It's it's just and then the, the real life stuff that bled into that and how Val Comer's life turned out and the yeah, stuff I, yeah. I just thought man that was like why I go to the movies for shit like that I thought it was so good I love the crash landing landing in the restaurant which is listing like Mayberry I love that um, where the kid is like you know he's like where am I and the kid's like Earth I love I love that <laughs> right. um, I thought I loved the director had a chance for best director. Yeah, but not if if I know if, he wasn't going to get it, but who knows? But anybody really could well have done. made that movie. It was well made, but like I don't know. I mean, I I think that where we are right now is in some there's some massive gulf between the auteurs, the people who you know you can watch a movie and know that it was made by them. Robin Re Ruben Oslund is one of those people. He's nominated for yep. best director for um, Triangle, Triangle of Sadness. Of Sadness. 
Um, which is another movie that is, you know, we can put that in with Tar and Women Talking. And, I like uh, that movie. I mean, that is a movie that is like very much about trying to be where we are right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, another divisive movie. More, I mean, apparently not as divisive as Nope, but, um, you know, the people who like it really, really love it. I have, I would go right now. I'm not, these are not my official picks. Fablements, Blanchett. Colin Farrell, who's almost four to one odds on Gold Derby, I think Colin Farrell's going to win. That I do not see Brendan Fraser winning. I do. Um, I don't know enough about the supporting actress. So I haven't studied the supporting Angela actress, Bassett. Supporting Angela actor. Bassett. Angela Bassett. She burns that movie down. Well, that would be great, but that seems too good to be true. But no. everybody loves her. She'll get the standing ovation. It'll be amazing. Angela Bassett. Brendan Gleeson's going to win Best Supporting Actor. He's almost four to one odds. Yeah, that seems um, likely. He's, I thought, I really like the first 20 minutes of that movie too, mm -hmm. where yeah. you're just kind of like, wait, what's going on? What's Why won't he talk to this guy? <laughs> and then it's like, hold on, I feel so bad for Colin Farrell. He's lost his friend. It was just such a good setup. Um, and then director, it could be our guy, Steve. It's, it's probably going to be Spielberg, which means that everything, 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 everywhere, all at once will probably win best picture. Oh, they'll split it. Um, it'll, it'll probably be a split. You know, mm. it's, you know, we're, well, I don't think we're, I think those date that there'll be more splits going forward, I think, than not. Parasite, you know, I think Parasite, what we did, did Nomadland win? I know, I know she won Best Director. I can't remember if it won. I can't picture. remember. All this stuff blends together. That's where um, we, that's where we are now. Um, I, I do, I don't know. It's just a weird, it's a really weird time. And I think that, you know, as for as important as the Oscars are, I think the thing that they, they keep Hollywood, they have to keep Hollywood honest because at some point they're going to run out of movies. I swear to God. I mean, this year even, it didn't come close to that, but it did feel like, I mean, there were some snubs, but really, I mean, making it 10 movies really means that. I think it should be eight. Ten's too many. I know. And but wait, before we go, I just want to mention. Yeah. I really liked that movie, The Criminal, and, and I'm not <laughs> always an Aubrey Plaza <laughs> fan, but I thought mm -hmm. she was really good in that movie. And it's weird to me that that movie was never even mentioned in any of this stuff, but then the Andrew Riseborough movie was the weird indie. Because I thought the, <sighs> yep. the stuff Emily the Criminal was about, and just, I, I didn't know where it was going, and I just really, I really liked it. I thought it was good. And I, and I thought she was really, really good in it. I think she needs to make more famous friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one of our lessons. Make more famous friends. Make more famous friends. For more on the Oscars, Sean Fantasy and Amanda Dobbins, I think they just put up their uh, their I reactions cannot, to the nominations. That's I on the big wait. picture. I cannot um, wait to listen to so that. So you can get that. And then the big picture will be covering this. And then, Wesley, you'll come back before the before the Oscars and we'll, we'll try to make some picks really quick and sure. do some other stuff. Sure. Good to see you. Nice to see you. Thanks for coming on. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Verno and House. Thanks to Wesley. Thanks to Kyle Creighton for producing as always. And I will see you on this feed on Thursday for round three, million dollar picks and a lot more football.
This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. 